this book came out of the conviction that the Bible is not primarily about moral principles or abstract ideas or good theology, uh, but rather about God's self-revelation in history, as well as his purposes to form a people, you know, who would express who he is in the world. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Sydney learn from Christians in Sao Paulo? How can church leaders in Mongolia equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed the mission of God unlocking the Bible's grand narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as global ambassador and ministry director for Langham. Today, we travel to the bustling, vibrant, diverse, and densely populated city of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Home to more than 12 million people and today's guest, Bernardo Cho. Bernardo is a Korean-Brazilian pastor author and theological educator who received his PhD with support from Langham. In his conversation with Chris, Bernardo shares about leading a growing and diverse church plant in the heart of the city, the unique opportunities and challenges of being on mission in a city like Sao Paulo, and his newest book, The Plot of Salvation, a collection of sermons that lays out the history of salvation as communicated through the entirety of scripture from creation to new creation. I hope you enjoy. Welcome again to On Mission with me, Chris Wright. And let me remind you that it's not me who's on mission in these conversations, but my guests. And my guest today is from that great country of Brazil. He's a Langham scholar, and his name is Dr. Bernardo Cho. So welcome to you, Bernardo. Well, thank you, Chris. It's it's great to be here. Uh, it's a great honor to be here, actually. So thank you. It's great to have you with us. Now, Bernardo is a, a professor and a pastor. That is, he's a professor of New Testament and biblical theology at a seminary there in Brazil, which we'll talk about in a minute, and also the senior pastor of a Presbyterian church in his city of Sao Paulo. But before we get into all of that, uh, Bernardo, just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, perhaps something of your family, how you came to faith, and uh, where you are at this moment. Yeah, so I live in Sao Paulo Central area, as you mentioned, uh, where I teach at the seminary and serve as a founding pastor uh, of my home church. I finished my PhD in New Testament at the University of Edinburgh in 2016, with the general support of Langham, I should point out. Uh, and I've been 
you know, just busy with working on these two fronts. Um, I've been married for 16 years uh, to Roberta, uh, and we have two kids, Isabella, who's uh, 11, and Raphael, who's just about to turn seven. So uh, those two keep us very, very busy. Um, and I became an, an evangelical Christian uh, in 2001, so 2001. November. Uh, I was born and raised a Catholic because uh, my parents uh, attend a Catholic church. Uh, but then during my third year of college, I had a conversion experience and became an evangelical uh, and have been ever since. So mm-hmm. that's amazing. 2001 was the year that I started working for Langham. So uh, there we go. Oh, <laughs> right. it, was a, it was a great year. So, yes, you were a, a Langham Scholar in uh, doing your PhD in Edinburgh, but you previously had done your master's degree in Regent College, Vancouver. So you've studied in uh, Canada and in the UK. That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. So we went to, we went to Canada in t- 2009, and we stayed there for three and a half years. Then we, we came back to Brazil. We worked uh, at our previous church for half a an year, and then we... Uh, we went to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. A very cold city uh, compared to uh, to Zimbabwe, right. I should yes. think. <laughs> cold and grey. Yes, but you survived, yeah. you survived. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it is a beautiful city, though, isn't it, Edinburgh, up there in Scotland? Oh, we, we love Edinburgh, everything mm-hmm. about Edinburgh. I mean, uh, the, the, the one thing that we don't miss at all is the grey uh, mm-hmm. weather. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After Cambridge, it's probably one of my favourite cities, but I'd have to put that in, I think, (laughs) as a Cambridge man. Let's 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 go to where you are now, your city of São Paulo, which of course uh, in Portuguese means Saint Paul, which I've always yeah. thought is a little bit ironic, really, because São Paulo is a very large city, but it's named after the apostle who called himself the least of the apostles, whereas São Paulo is, I, I'm told, it's the seventh largest in the world, certainly the largest in the global south with a population mm-hmm. of about 12 million. That makes it half as big again as London. So it's a fantastic, amazing city. Tell yeah. us a bit about it. What, what, what do you love about it? I've only been there a couple of times, and it's always just overwhelmed me, just the sheer size of it. Yeah. But what yeah. do you love about São Paulo? Um, I guess diversity is uh, one of the key words for describing São Paulo. There's always a sense that the whole world is represented here. Um and, you know, my family and I love sharing nice meals with family and friends. Uh, so we've got plenty of options in terms of food because of the diversity. So mm-hmm. that makes life here quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we also have some some major challenges. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Tell us about some of those challenges, because obviously as a big um, city like that in, in, in the majority world, it has a, a wonderful combination i'm sure of the extremes of wealth and poverty and everything in between yeah yeah i guess as the largest city in brazil sao paulo also you know poses christians some major major difficulties um uh, i i could start by mentioning the cost of living that is super high and as a result everyone's just too busy with work um just work 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 because everyone's so anxious about paying for you know the bills and not to mention traffic as well, uh, very heavy traffic. 
and all all these things makes uh make life pretty difficult sometimes uh, it, this deeply affects our quality of life um and of course we also face the classic social problems you know of extreme poverty drug addiction crime uh, so lots of opportunities for ministry as well i suppose yeah. Yes, and we'll certainly come in a moment to uh, the church that you're the pastor of. Now, Bernardo, your your own name seems to me like a combination of Portuguese, Bernardo, and Korean, Cho. Is is that correct? That's right. Yes, yes. So how, how come you've got Portuguese and Korean in your name? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm. I'm. Uh, my parents are Korean immigrants. Uh, my father came to Brazil when he was 19, and he met my mother here. Uh, I was born and raised in São Paulo, but raised in a, uh, I would say, fairly traditional Korean family, uh, but not too traditional because my my dad was one of the first Korean immigrants who got to attend college here. So he he kind of got used to you know the Brazilian way of of being so uh, yeah so that's that's why I have the Cho in my name yeah uh, and is there a large Korean community there in Brazil? It's fairly large I would say it's the largest in Latin America mm-hmm. um, uh, and the Korean community in Brazil is basically concentrated in São Paulo. I actually live in what is called K Town. In São Paulo, Korea town in São Paulo. So, yeah. so when I mean, we all we always think of of Korea as a, a country where there's a large Christian presence uh, over these last sort of half century, really, with the growth of the church there. Would many of these Korean immigrants to Brazil have preserved their faith in that sense? Yes, for sure. Um, so many people from the first generation still go to church. I'm I'm not quite sure about the numbers, but I would guess around. I don't know, 40 or 50 percent. But I'm afraid this number is dropping by the day, mostly because Korean churches, you know, have struggled to make a healthy transition to the second generation. So Mm -hmm. that has been another challenge that we face here. Yes. Well, that's a very common problem, isn't it, with uh, second generation diaspora communities? Um, Mm -hmm. That's right. Interesting that uh, you are now evangelical and Presbyterian, but you said that you were brought up in the Catholic, Roman Catholic faith. Was your father uh, Catholic Korean or was it your mother's influence? Uh, It was my father's. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he became a Catholic when he crossed the the ocean the planet yeah. and he came to brazil uh and yeah he's been a, a, a very devout catholic ever since mm, that's interesting mm-hmm. yes yeah now your your wife roberta is, is she fully portuguese brazilian or is she also korean brazilian like yourself yeah just like myself a second generation korean born and raised here mm. but uh, very much familiar with the korean culture as well mm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. So you have Brazilian kimchi and everything else. and uh, Oh, yes. yes. We had kimchi for lunch today, actually. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Now, obviously, Sao Paulo is a major city, and so urban mission is uh, a major factor, as, as in so many other parts of the world. And um, you have written a book on this. Uh, in 2020, it was published called Urban Mission, Serving mm-hmm. Christ in the City. And I wonder whether that uh, grew out of your own pastoral experience as a as a pastor in a church. Well, the, the church that you're a pastor of was that one that you yourself planted. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we started this church four years ago, 
just over a little over four years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but the book actually was published in commemoration of the 30th anniversary of the seminary. So it, it didn't come out of, you know, my own conviction or ideas to write a book on this topic. Uh, it was uh, basically in celebration of that date. Um, and so I'm, I'm not the only author. It's a, it's a multi-author book uh, written by several colleagues from, from oh, our I school. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But you must, in some ways, be putting what's in the book into practice in the church. Yeah, that's right. So each author tried to bring um, their own expertise to bear on the, the questions of relating to how, you know, the church in the 21st century, in an urban context specifically, is to witness the gospel. So uh, the topics covered are pretty wide ranging. Um, but yeah, we try to offer the readers a model for thinking how the church should do its work um, in an urban context nowadays. So, what yeah. would you say you've most learned, uh, both as a writer of that chapter in the book, but also as a pastor in an, in an inner urban setting with some of the challenges of the environment, the, the violence, the poverty, all of that? I mean, uh, how does a church such as yours be salt and light in the midst of all the concrete of a, of a big city? Yeah. Um, so in my own chapter, I looked at how Paul um, tries to encourage the, the, Philippi, the, the church in Philippi to act as citizens of heaven. So um, it seems to me that he's playing with this, this uh, dual identity of Christians. They're both uh, Philippian citizens, but also heavenly citizens. And those two aspects of their identity are to be, you know, integrated. Um, so what I, what I've learned from, from writing that chapter is that oftentimes where Christians are, are too busy uh, trying to understand what kind of activities they're supposed to be engaged with um, to, to you know, to, to accomplish their missions, their, their mission. But I think there's a, a more fundamental question we as Christians uh, must ask, which is uh, what kind of people we're, we're called to be, what kind of human beings we're, we're called to be, and where where is exactly our identity uh, defined? Uh, so if we, if we miss that, I think we kind of miss the, the the whole rest yeah mm -hmm. that, that, that's fascinating because i think people sometimes misunderstand don't they what paul meant when he said that our citizenship is in heaven it sounds as if he's saying don't worry you can stick it out in philippi we'll all get that's to heaven right. in the end um, yeah. whereas he's not he's not talking about going to heaven he's talking to people who were citizens of rome in mm -hmm. Philippi, in other words, they had to live under Roman law. It didn't mean they were going right. to Rome. It just meant they were living as citizens of Rome. But he's saying, we live in Philippi, yes, as Roman citizens, but we live as those who are citizens of a different kingdom, namely the kingdom That's of God. Right. Exactly so right, yeah. being the citizenship in heaven is very similar to what Jesus would have meant by being, you know, belonging to the kingdom of God. You you live in this world, but you live by the standards of the, of God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, not by yeah. the standards of Rome. Yeah. 
So that's mm-hmm. fascinating. So have, have you found that people have responded to that at all in terms of how to live in an environment like São Paulo while being citizens of the kingdom of God with citizenship in heaven? Uh, do you mean in terms of uh, our readership? Uh, the, the well, of- yes, either responses that you've had to the book uh, from the readership or uh, people in your own congregation who you feel are getting the point, as it were, of the need to, to live and witness as both Brazilian citizens in São Paulo right. and yeah. citizens of the kingdom of God. Yeah, so uh, I haven't followed much uh, the feedback on, on, you know, the the reactions on on the book. But what I know is that people who gather at my church, we are we're always trying to ask the question of what it means to be the people of God in in the city, uh, and ultimately what it means to be human, really. Mm. So. I was surprised to see how many people were actually asking that question. Uh, but the problem was that they were not finding, you know, uh, good answers. Mm. And what I found is that when we tell the story, when we we actually, you know, try to make, try to help people, when we help people to see the story that the Bible tells, it, it actually is quite eye-opening. Mm. Um, and they they do understand what it means to be, you know, uh, saved and to belong to the church and to have Jesus as Lord. And it's, it's amazing to see the impact that that true, that truth, that reality has in all of our lives. That's great. And, and in a moment, we'll come to another of your books in which you specifically concentrate on the Bible as that great story that we have to live in. We, we, we'll get there in a moment. I was thinking, though, that we should maybe um, extend our horizon a bit from the city of Sao Paulo, uh, with its 12 million people, to Brazil itself, this massive country there uh, in in South America. I mean, people may not be aware that it is actually the fifth largest country in the world, geographically speaking. It's Mm -hmm. about the same size as the United States. Um, It's just a little bit larger than Australia population Mm -hmm. of 215 million. I mean, it's an enormous country. And I I don't know whether you know, I don't know whether I ever told you, but I had a kind of Brazil thing in my childhood because my parents um, were missionaries in Brazil before I was born. Uh, So I I wasn't born there. I I never grew up there, but uh, two of my my older siblings did. But my my parents were missionaries up in the Amazon uh, area Mm -hmm. among some of the indigenous peoples up there. And I remember the great excitement after my parents had come back after the Second World War, uh, when Brazil won the World Cup, you know, the the famous World Cup victories in the 1950s. I think Mm -hmm. the the big one in 1958. And all the postage stamps that were issued around that time. I used to collect stamps and uh, had some wonderful, (laughs) very colorful Brazilian stamps. So that that, it's always had a, a sort of soft spot for me, even though I've only myself been to Brazil twice. But... Tell us a little bit about the country. I mean, it's this, again, like Sao Paulo, it has this massive um, contrast between uh, tribes people up in the in the Amazon region to these huge urban magnificence of cities like Sao Paulo and Rio and Brasilia and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as I said, Brazil is a is a huge country and and very diverse. Um, so we have a massive city like Sao Paulo, but we also have the Amazon. Mm-hmm. It's it's really diverse. Uh, I think it's still the 
largest Catholic uh, country in the world, or one of them, one of the mm -hmm. largest Catholic uh, countries in the world. And so that makes it even more interesting to be an evangelical here uh, because, you know, everyone, at least in Sao Paulo, has heard of Jesus and the Bible. But, uh, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not exactly how uh, we, at least the Bible, you know, shows. But, yeah, that makes things very interesting. It is because... I do remember that when my, my father, when my parents were in Brazil, uh, Roman Catholicism was dominant. I mean, evangelicals were a tiny, yeah. tiny little number, very, very few mm. indeed. Uh, whereas now, it, as, as well as being perhaps the largest Catholic country, it is one of the largest countries in terms of evangelicals too, isn't it? I mean, there's been phenomenal growth oh, of the yeah. evangelical church within Brazil. But uh, from what I've heard, it's not necessarily always very healthy growth. Um, is right. there a commentary on that at all? Yeah. So in the beginning, evangelicals in Brazil, um, they used to face a high degree of hostility from the Catholic Church. Mm. And this remains a reality um, in certain parts of the country still, uh, particularly outside the urban areas. Um but I think the greatest challenges nowadays, at least, uh, have to do with problems that we evangelicals brought to ourselves. Mm, mm. Brazil is often mentioned as a country that experienced a, a great revival in the past couple of dec decades. And I think this is true, but I'm afraid um, that our um, numerical growth is yet to find a proper counterpart in, in maturity and depth. So... Uh, we still need a lot of investment in solid theological education. There's, there's a lot of good comment on about this, but I would just say that we still need a lot of investment in solid theological education, mm -hmm. because if we want to see the Brazilian church thriving uh, and not only increasing in number, we need to put you know a lot of effort into training the next generation of leaders. Uh, but unfortunately, this is something that, most Brazilian evangelicals are simply not interested in, which is, yeah, which is a major challenge. Which is uh, kind of strange because it's not as if there aren't theological college seminaries and universities there yeah. in Brazil. And indeed, we have, yeah. uh, as well as yourself, we have quite a number of other uh, Langham scholars who are Brazilian. So there's, there's plenty of scope for it. That's right. But we, if we compare the number of good theological schools with, you know, the number of just the sheer number of evangelicals in Brazil is just mm. very out of proportion. All right, yeah. And the other thing that one hears is that there's a a strong influence of prosperity teaching and um, you know mega church yeah. wealth and all of that, which again is not particularly healthy for for the those who are followers of Jesus. That's right, yeah. And the other difficulty that stands out, especially at this particular moment in history. Um, you know, false teaching, we've always had false teaching and false gospels, but in recent years, we've seen that the evangelicals in Brazil have been deceived into thinking that the kingdom of God can be established by force, you know, yeah. if only we conquer political power. I'm sure you've seen the, the yes. Brazilian version of the capital attack, Yes, uh, yes. which sadly had the outspoken support of many, many evangelical leaders. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that's that's huge nowadays. Um, yes, I was I was going to come to that because obviously Brazil has been through pretty enormous political turbulence. 
mm-hmm. in these past few years. In some ways, it would seem almost a mirror of what was happening north of the equator uh, up yeah. in the United States. There, there seem to be uh, quite a bit of similarities there, yeah. and uh, including the fact, as you just said, that, that many Brazilian evangelicals supported Bolsonaro and his policies, which for some of yeah. us seems very strange. Do you want, do you want to yeah. comment on that? I don't want to put you in any embarrassment, but it, it, it's something that those of us in other parts of the world struggle with sometimes. Yeah. I suppose, you know, whatever happens in the States, the United States is just has so much influence on everyone, and not least in Brazil, that, you know, whatever happens there ends up being finding a, a very loud echo here in Brazil mm-hmm. too. So uh, some of the ideas and the uh, even the theological agenda, the, the agenda for theological dis- discussion, uh, instead of being uh, formed by our own context, we sometimes import those issues to mm-hmm. to our own context. And I think that's uh, that's... That can be very dangerous. Dangerous, mm. and um, yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, it, uh, uh, sorry. One of one of. No, I was going to say one of those influences uh, too would be theologically or theological in relation to an understanding of mission and what That's mission fine. includes. Because again, from what I myself have read and understood, and talking to some other Latin American um, evangelicals, is that there's quite a bit of disagreement. Uh, among evangelicals as to what mission actually includes, whether some are more conservative, that it's you know it's only evangelism right. and teaching, and others who would have a more holistic understanding of of mission more in line with the Lausanne movement and so on. Is is that yeah. your observation as well? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think people are afraid of. It, uh, I think what I want to say is that some some circles are moved by by fear that if we adopt certain kinds of ideas, we're going to introduce uh, very evil, you know. And by evil, I mean uh, politically uh, opposed views um, uh, from from the perspective of the per- of the person speaking. So. Yeah, I I think we still we still struggle with that kind of dichotomy between is is uh, is is doing missions uh, only pertain to preaching and evangelizing and 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 teaching or is mission something bigger broader than that? Mm. Uh, but the problem is that uh, this is a sensitive issue, but. Uh, some 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 advocates for what we call integral mission in Brazil have been, in my view, guilty of uh, trying to merge uh, the 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 concept of holistic gospel with uh, some a certain a particular kind of of political agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I don't think we should just jettison the whole concept of holistic idea the whole idea of 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 holistic mission i should say uh just to go back to the to the old dichotomy you know of uh, just speaking words to people uh, especially in a country uh, as poor as as brazil uh, that that 
that doesn't hold I think. Yes, I think it it is unfortunate, isn't it? As as Christians, we we sometimes seem to go from one extreme to the other, like a pendulum yeah. backwards and forwards. And there's no doubt that uh, there are there is a, a certain kind of liberation theology which which more or less identifies the kingdom of God with the political agenda, That's uh, right. and, and leaves out the heart of 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 the gospel in terms of the necessity of Christ and the cross and salvation. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the other extreme, those who are so uh, you know. Yeah. on the necessity of the cross and salvation, that uh, they ignore the fact that people are living in injustice and inequality and poverty, mm-hmm. um, and that the Bible has a lot to say about those things. That's um, right. That's, that's the problem, is how do we get to be more fully biblical? And that's mm-hmm. why in a moment I want to come to your other book, <laughs> which I think uh, can certainly yep. help us on that. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that book... Um, we have been talking just a few minutes ago about theological education, and you are a professor at a seminary which has the very interesting name of Servo do Cristo, which I understand means servant of Christ. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's right I mean, that, yes. that, that, the very fact of calling a seminary a servant or a slave of Christ must have an influence on what it purports to be in, in terms of the way it's trying to serve the church as well. So tell us a bit about your seminary and uh, perhaps who founded it or who other who others are there, who the principal is and so on. Yeah, so it was initially uh, started by the Chinese community. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, to serve the Chinese churches at the Taiwanese, I should say, to be more precise, uh, 30 years ago. But then God has blessed the, the, the school in such a way that now it's it's become pretty significant, not only for the Chinese community, but for the, the, the whole of uh, the Brazilian church. Mm. How do you combine the fact that you are both a professor of New Testament theology at a seminary and an active senior <laughs> pastor of a significant inner, inner city church? I mean, when do you ever get a rest? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. <laughs> Your wife probably asks you it, I should think, from time to time. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, my wife is very competent in helping me uh, to get some rest uh, on, a, on a regular basis. I'm so, glad to yeah. hear it. Uh, and then the kids as well. Uh, but my heartbeat for, for doing this is just, you know, to witness how God can transform people's lives when they learn to read the Bible better, it's, it's amazing. It, it's no rocket science. Just teach the people to read the Bible better, to pay attention to the context and to the content. And it's amazing how much God can do to transform them. So, uh, yeah, it's been unbelievably busy. But but to know that God has called me to teach and preach the Bible and to see that there's a huge need for this in my context, is this really keeps me going uh, despite the intensity. Yeah, the work. So, so h- how do they influence each other? I mean, being yeah. an academic and being yeah. a pastor, how do they affect each other? Yeah, no, that's actually a great question because uh, whenever I preach, I feel that I can I have the opportunity to bring the seminary to the people f- uh, through the pulpit, and and the other way around as well. When I'm teaching at the classroom, it's it's almost as because I'm teaching future pastors or current pastors even. Mm-hmm. Uh, so being a pastor myself uh, gives me, um, you know, a larger perspective on on what I should teach and and, and talk about in in the classroom. 
That sounds it's yeah. it, it is. I, I have to say that it sounds almost exactly like myself because I because <laughs> those right. have been the two main parts of my own life have been uh, being a, a pastor for year, some years and then being a theological educator for some years. But I haven't tried to do them simultaneously, <laughs> I suppose, <laughs> is, it, is the difference. Um, and also to be a writer as well. But it's I think you're exactly right that when you're in the pulpit, you're also seeking to teach people. And mm. when you're in the classroom, you're also uh, seeking to help people to see the, the, the life of the Word of God and how it applies mm. to, to the church. So that's great. Mm. Um, why do we come to that book then that I've been whetting people's appetite for a little while? Because I think it's actually your most recent book, and it's the one that uh, I was most keen on when I first heard about it, because it was initially written in Portuguese um, mm. and has now been published in English by Langham, by Langham Literature. And the title of the book in English is The Plot of Salvation, Divine Presence, Human Vocation, and Cosmic Redemption. And it's basically, as I understand it, a series of sermons that you yourself have preached through the whole Bible, yep. helping people to see the Bible as one whole coherent story. So could you tell That's us right. a bit more about that book and why you wrote it and why it matters so much? Yeah. So uh, this book came out of the conviction that the Bible is not primarily about moral principles or abstract ideas or good theology, uh, but rather about God's self-revelation in history, as well as his purposes to form a people, you know, who would express who he is in the world. So the key idea, or perhaps the key ideas that I try to explore in this book is that the God who created everything in heaven and on earth uh, actualized his plan to redeem and transform the whole of creation in Jesus, not only to save our souls. And, uh, and relating to that, that the whole of creation was meant uh, to be God's cosmic temple and ultimately will be God's cosmic temple because of Jesus. And thirdly, that human beings are at the center of this drama as image bearers of the creator. So it's basically an argument for the gospel as uh, a holistic message that has a deep impact in, in the whole of our lives and, 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 the, and as God's means to restoring human identity and, and our original vocation. Mm. Wow. Amen to all of that is all I can say. <laughs> but um, one of the things that uh, in the book's description says this, and I just quote, it says that when we fail to grasp the overarching plot of the Bible, we inevitably reduce the gospel to something smaller than it is. Mm. And I both want to agree with that, but I'd like it if you could to expand that. In what, what particular aspects of the gospel do get reduced if we don't take the whole Bible. I mean, somebody might say, hang on just a minute, the Gospels are all in the New Testament. All we need is the Gospels and the Apostle Paul and the Book of Romans. We don't need the whole Bible for the Gospel. What, what gets reduced if we don't take the whole Bible? I think if we don't take the whole Bible, uh, we, we end up reducing the Gospel uh, to a message that alleviates our guilty consciousness, you know. Uh, it becomes simply a, a tool for 
making us feel better uh, for our sins uh, because it guarantees our place in heaven in another place. But this kind of message does not have any bearing on our day-to-day -day lives. And it, it most importantly is not in tune with uh, the biblical message as a whole, with what God actually accomplished in Jesus. Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised at how many Christians in Brazil still understand the gospel merely as a way to go to heaven and mm -hmm. not as the reality in which the whole of our lives is restored. Mm -hmm. So it's almost inevitable to, to find people at church uh, who regard, you know, their day-to-day lives ordinary tasks as a necessary evil as a result of that so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're christians we believe in jesus that jesus died for us and we feel better about ourselves because of that but I'm, i i can't see real meaning in in what i do in mm. you know on monday from monday to friday yeah so it's almost as though the gospel pertain only to religious matters um mm. i don't think that's the picture that the bible presents us Indeed. And it's not only in Brazil, brother, that uh, people think right. those things by any means at all. I keep coming across it here in Britain as well. Uh, very sadly, even among many otherwise well-educated evangelical people who have their understanding of the gospel is, I've got saved, I'm going to heaven when I die, that's wonderful. But between now and then, I simply have to live in the world somehow and get on with things and give money to the missionaries and support the church. Uh, and really, the the relevance of the whole Bible to everyday life is is very limited. Mm -hmm. Are there any particular? And of course, this is one of the things that John Stott was was so insistent on of trying to help people to see right. uh, the, the the whole life nature of Christian discipleship, and therefore the whole life nature of the gospel. I'm just wondering whether there's anything from the from what the Apostle Paul says or the way he you know, speaks about the gospel in, in some of his letters that, that would give us that idea that it's it's not just about getting forgiven and going to heaven. It's it's about something much bigger than that. Any any suggestions as to what people might look up when they finish yeah. this podcast? Yeah, probably Ephesians. I mean, when we see how Paul describes the consequences of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus in Ephesians, mm. We see clearly that they are as broad as the entire universe. I mean, mm -hmm. Paul says that in Jesus, God has summed up everything mm -hmm. in heaven and on earth, mm -hmm. you know, under the head of Jesus. Uh, mm -hmm. So God basically reconciled to himself all things. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's important. And Paul also says that he gave that fullness to the church. Mm -hmm. And so as, a, as, as God's people now, we're called to express that reality that jesus is the lord of everything um so yeah i would i would go to ephesians whenever people ask me that same question i just say you know just go and read ephesians and try to memorize it if possible there you go there you go i i would take him to colossians as well because of course he probably wrote yes. it about the same time and he says there very clearly in chapter one that uh, all things in heaven and earth god has reconciled them to himself through his blood shed on the cross that the mm -hmm. cross itself is cosmic creation-wide significance um, yeah, yeah. and and then he sure. says oh and you also he says you also get to be part of this when you believe yeah, the gospel yeah. uh, it's a big story for the whole of creation which we are privileged to belong to so do you mm -hmm. think then that um this uh, this awareness that churches need to hear the whole bible story and that pastors ought somehow to be preaching the whole bible over time of course 
that that impacts the way you and I think of mission and practice mission or the way the church should be involved in mission, a whole Bible approach? Does it affect your theology of mission? Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, uh, I feel that we should really switch places on this topic, Chris, because <laughs> you're the expert on this. Uh the plot of salvation actually could not have been written if you hadn't written so many important books on on similar similar topics before. But I, I suspect that this whole debate about what constitutes Christian mission uh, has to do with how we define the word itself, right? What is mm -hmm. mission? Uh, and 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 it's it's interesting because the word mission does not occur in the New Testament uh, as we use it, right? It's it's something that we borrowed from the catholic church from am i right in saying that well i think it i think certainly some aspects of it go back to the jesuits yes uh indeed yeah, um, yeah. yeah. in fact they accused the protestants of not of not being a true church because they didn't have any sense of mission <laughs> initially right right uh, yeah. yeah so uh, I, I suppose you know most of these uh disagreements come out of uh different understandings of, of the word itself. How how should we define missions? And I agree totally with you that if we step back and, and see what the whole of the biblical message is about, I think we we end up coming to a different kind of definition that in in the recent past the church has adopted for for that word. Yes, so. and, and particularly when we shift from a very anthropocentric understanding that missions are what we do to right. uh, that whatever we do in mission has to be derived from the fact that it is God's mission, that God has a purposeful right. God yeah. with his intention for the whole universe and we participate with God, co-workers with God as Paul amazingly yeah. called himself yeah, I think that's yeah. true yeah. well, thank you for that little commendation of some of my own books as well <laughs> you know, we can always scratch each other's back I, I'll commend yours and you can commend mine that's, uh, that's, that's the thing um one of the things we like to do on these podcasts, um, uh, Bernardo, is to hear the voice of people from majority world, from the global south, speaking into the, the, the uh, I was going to say the Western church, but of course Brazil is very much in the West, perhaps thinking more of the Northern church. So from the point of view of Brazil, what what do you think the, the church in the West can learn from the church in Brazil, whether positively or indeed negatively? I mean, what, what sort of lessons do we need to hear from, from your part of the world? Um, you know, as a Brazilian, I, I think I have more negative things to share than, than positive. But I think, uh, you know, despite the difficulties that we mentioned previously, God is still moving in Sao Paulo. So new churches are being planted. Mm -hmm. uh, young leaders are being raised, and the church is still very much present amongst the poor, uh, both through social action and evangelism. So, uh, you know, Brazilian people have this ability to remain hopeful no matter what, mm -hmm. and I think God has used this for His glory. So, e e even after even after a, a World Cup defeat, eh? It's, that's uh... right. Yeah, even <laughs> after a World Cup. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you could, you could still bounce back. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we also have some major challenges, of course, and uh, I suppose these challenges are not unique to us. Uh, should, should I mention one of them? Yes, please. So, yeah, one thing that has, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, has kept me very busy thinking about is the explosion of online tools. 
because it has they they have opened up some huge possibilities for the church to reach you know more people with good information and i think this is something we should be really grateful for although it's also true that i've never seen so many christians consuming bad stuff as well on youtube but at any rate my main concern i think relates and i think that you can resonate with this uh relates to precisely how we can use this kind of technology uh, both in the local church and in theological schools, at least, you know, in a way that's faithful, faithful to the nature of Christian, Christian discipleship. Mm. So, yeah, I wonder, for example, what are the limits of recorded classes in the formation of Christian leaders? Mm -hmm. um, I, I do wonder, mm -hmm. is the incarnation simply a doctrine or the very model for how we do church ministry? Do you mean that, that you're concerned about the use of online recorded lectures that people are just sort of watching on screen yeah. rather than actually together in a class? Yeah, yeah, or at least in a Zoom call, a Zoom conference, you know, where you can actually interact with other people. Yeah. Uh, but I also have in mind, you know, those very many churches who ever since the pandemic have gone all in this online thing you know so much so that many people uh many christians are now used to quote unquote watching online services yes yes um so yeah that that's a that's a challenge that i think we share in brazil with with, with, with well we, we face that a bit in britain too and i think in other parts of the world since the pandemic you're quite right and you know, maybe we need to remind ourselves of Hebrews where he says, you know, uh, do not neglect the meeting of yourselves together. Uh, there is yeah. something about being the body of Christ, which yeah. uh, has a necessary sort of physicality to it. Mm -hmm. um, so, it, yeah, it's how do we use the advantages of the fact that we can do that without then reducing it to the only way we actually meet? Well, um Bernardo, what about yourself as we come to a close? What's uh, what's next for you and your ministry? Have you got another book on the go or any, any particular move that you're thinking of or what's happening? Yeah, so there's a few impending deadlines with publishers in the next few years. And I'm actually supposed to send a book manuscript by August this year. Yeah. This year. Uh, I published uh, a new book in November in Portuguese that deals with uh, the biblical theology of work, so to speak. Good. Uh, so there's a lot happening on that front, um, which which can make things overwhelming. Mm. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the seminary, we are still trying to discern how to navigate this new digital context mm. without uh, compromising the core of our identity as an institution. Mm. Um, so yeah, prayers are are uh, much coveted for that uh yeah. in in terms of the church we'll probably have to look for a bigger venue together sometime this year um mm -hmm. and we're praying for more people to join our, our staff so that's like to good. a good kind of problem yes uh, yeah god is in the move so mm -hmm. yeah that's, that's good that's great uh, well, about the seminary, I, I can say, you know, it's, uh, you, you don't want to gain the World Wide Web and lose your own soul. You know, it's, uh, right. uh, it's, yeah. it's quite a temptation, that is. Uh, but also pray for the church that it will indeed grow. And yourself and your family, Roberta and the children. Yeah, um, we've been very busy, as you imagine. Uh, so uh, please do pray for, for wisdom and balance. I really need to focus on what's important. Um, 
not on what appears to be urgent. That's the temptation, right? Yes. To be so busy with urgent stuff that you end up not doing what's really important. Uh, And of course, this applies to Roberta and and the kids as well. Um, They themselves are very busy with their own daily activities. Roberta is finishing her nutrition degree uh, and the kids are going to school and, you know, Mm-hmm. It, it's always a yes uh, <laughs> it's always very busy to to keep yes. our schedules well uh, to be a husband and a father and a professor and a pastor and an author it's uh, it's a big combination and uh, and we pray for you i'm sure that those who've listened to the podcast bernardo will be wanting to uh, when they finish listening to to lift you up to the lord in prayer why did i do that now myself should i do that yes please Father, thank you for this conversation, and I ask now that you will be with Bernardo, whatever his day holds now, and this the rest of this coming week, in his teaching and his preparation for ministry in the church, and for his role as a husband and father and all that life throws at him and Roberta. Be with them, Lord, we pray. Keep them safe, protect their lives, and enable them to serve you for your name and for your glory's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, Bernardo, and uh, for being with us and uh, every blessing for you and Roberta and your family. God bless. Thank you, Chris. God bless you. That's it for today's episode. I hope you were blessed by Chris and Bernardo's conversation and encouraged to seek out new ways to live on mission for Christ whether you live in a city of 12 million or 12,000. Thanks again for joining us. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend, and then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.